You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matthijs. All right, so in the world of cinema, the title of sheriff, especially in old westerns, is like a, that's a prestigious title in a movie or in an old western or anything like that. In all movies, TV shows of all time, who's your favorite law enforcement character? I know my personally is Gus McRae from Lonesome Dove. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, I have. I love Lonesome Dove, and Gus is great. Do you have, like, a personal favorite? Well, out of Westerns, of course, uh, I mean, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah, you, totally. you got to like uh, Kevin Costner and Wyatt Earp. You know, that's if you're talking about uh, lawmen movies. And of course, Doc Holliday and the shootout at the OK Corral is kind of infamous in its day. Yeah, for sure, totally. All right, so I guess just introduce yourself and uh, who you are, who you – uh, work for, represent, all that good stuff. Sure. I'm Kevin Tome. I'm the sheriff here in Pennington County. Uh, been the sheriff the last eight years. January, I started my third term. Each term is four years. So four years le- basically left, three and a half years left on this term. Uh, June marks uh, 41 years in law enforcement for me. Really? So I have a long law enforcement uh, career. That's very, very cool. Um, can you touch on, for listeners that might not know your career path, like what brought you to where you are today as the sheriff of Pennington County? Yeah, I mean, I, I started at a sheriff's office in Minot, North Dakota, at the Ward County Sheriff's Department. I was going to college, started working in the jail part-time, and eventually on the road, and then as a deputy, and then I saw an opening for the South Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation and applied there. And in 1982, I was hired by the DCI, Division of Criminal Investigation. I was stationed in Aberdeen and then moved to Rapid City in 85 and finished out my career in Pierre. I ran the State Law Enforcement Academy and then eventually was director of the Division of Criminal Investigation. Uh, under DCI, you have the State Forensics Lab, the Law Enforcement Academy. You're the central repository for all the fingerprint cards in the, for all the jails that feed into the system. And then, of course, we had field agents in 13 field offices around the state investigating primarily uh, major felony crime. And then uh, retired from there and then uh, did work for the city of Rep City for three years as community resource director under Mayor Hanks. And then uh, Don Holloway retired after 28 years as sheriff and talked to Don and had interest in that and ran for sheriff and here I am today. Oh, really? So you did take a, a three-year break from that whole law enforcement scene before hop, hopping back into it here with Pennington County? Well, kind of, but not really. I, I stayed on what we have a reserve unit with DCI, and so I stayed as a, quote, reserve agent, and so still worked part-time. I had a full-time job, of course, with the city, but worked part-time with DCI as a reserve, so still kind of kept my fingers in it. Okay, awesome. All right, so you mentioned that a sheriff's term is four years, um, so pretty pretty standard when it comes to uh, office positions like that. When it's time for re-election, like when that time comes around, how is like a sheriff's campaign trail, how is that different from like maybe a mayor or a state representative or someone like that? Or is it not different at all? Is it very similar? They're very similar. I mean, I, I was fortunate. I, I've never had a primary or a general election race, so I ran unopposed uh, every time. I always say it makes me nervous. It means nobody else wants the job. Yes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I uh, uh, so I'm thankful for that. Um, but I've been involved in a lot of the campaigns from governor campaigns, attorney general campaigns, to legislative races and helping other people, uh, mayor races. So. Um, the dynamics to a race, you know, local races, you know, 
state legislative races, mayor races, city council, county races, are very similar dynamics. Yeah, I don't know why, and I can't explain it, but to me, sheriff just seems less political than everything else. It seems, I don't know, I can't put it into words at, at why. Um, maybe it, it is, but I just feel in my own heart that it's not. Well, what's unique is about sheriff is, you know, you answer directly to, directly to the citizens of your county. And, you know, it's elected, so it's political in that sense. But then once you're elected, you're fairly autonomous. I mean, you get to set the policies for your office. And the example I use to contrast it with the uh, chief of police, um, you know, they're appointed by the mayor, confirmed by the city council, so they have a different accountability, if you will, to the city council and to the mayor. Um, I get to operate a little more autonomous. Um, it's not a critique of their process or anything. It's just two different ways to do it because uh, as a sheriff, you're elected as chief of police, you're not. So, um, you know, as a director of DCI, you know, I still had accountability. You're appointed by the attorney general and had accountability to him, obviously. And uh, so a different level of accountability and you get to be very autonomous and answer directly to the people of the county. Okay, awesome. So our sheriff department is uh, split into four unique categories. Maybe is every sheriff department everywhere split into four categories, or is that kind of unique, or it's mixed up all over the place? Uh, they'll be structured different. Different sheriff's offices have uh, different levels of responsibility or different uh, responsibilities. Uh, some sheriff's offices you know, may only run a jail and not have law enforcement duties. Some may have law enforcement duties and not necessarily run the jail. It varies around the country considerably. Um, you know, we're broken down into, like I said, our four divisions. Our law enforcement division, which is the most visible, which is the deputies and patrol cars out serving civil papers, those sorts of things. You know, the jail and then the juvenile services center and the care campus, which has our detox, safe beds, and addiction services. So with... Um the law enforcement side of things and you have your care campus do any of these four take more time of yours personally than the other or are they all pretty much you know 25 percent of your time is spent on each one um it, it's fairly evenly split um you know the juvenile services center has a smaller population in terms of people that we house every day um but generally it's it's fairly evenly split Okay. Can you touch on, because you said the care campus is kind of part of that sheriff's department, not kind of, it is part of the sheriff's department. Um, can you touch on what that is for people? We've actually talked about it on this podcast before, but it's a really cool thing that you guys are doing here in Rapid. Yeah, what, what we created was um, we moved our programs from La Crosse Street, and we still have a few programs left up there in the old detox facility, and moved everything down here to Kansas City Street, the old NAU campus, part of the NAU campus. And in there, we created a single point of entry for our system. So law enforcement or somebody self-reports, they check in. Our staff are trained to triage them at entry as to where they need to go. Do they go to Safe Solutions? Do they go to Detox? Or do they go to the Crisis Care Center? Crisis Care Center is run by Behavior Management Systems. It's a partnership with them. And staffed 24-7, 365 by what we call QMHPs, Qualified Mental Health Professionals. And then in addition to them, we have a partnership with the police department. Uh, so they have their quality of life unit that's also housed in the building. And they work alongside us in terms of some of our, you know, frequent flyers, if you will, trying to figure out the uh, best way to deal with them and get them connect with services and stop them churning through the system. 
Yeah, very cool. You mentioned that you have a partnership with the Rapid City Police Department. I feel like a lot of times you guys are working very well together. Is that something that's commonly found throughout South Dakota, the United States in general, where your police departments and your sheriff's departments are, you know, kind of working together for the greater good? You know, it's it's more the ex- exception than the rule, unfortunately. And our community is very fortunate. And I always give credit to former Chief Tom Hennies and Sheriff Don Holloway. When they were working the street many years ago, the departments didn't get along. And they both said if we get in a position of authority, they were going to, in their words, knit the two departments together. And they've done that. And it's a model that works very well. It serves our community well. And uh, former Chief Teason said it best one day. He said, at this point, I don't think our community would stand for a divorce between us because they're so used to this model. And it's, it's, it's effective and it's efficient. And... You know, the chief and I are on the fourth floor together, so we solve a lot of things right in the hallway. Our investigations, you know, are co-located. We share records, we share evidence. So it's a it's a good model and it's good for taxpayers. Yeah, I totally agree. So when we, like, take a step back and you look at Pennington County as a whole, what are the big issues that we see um, modern day that we're facing right now with Pennington County as far as law enforcement goes? Well, you know, drugs and alcohol drive probably 90% of what we do. Um, of course, we've had a methamphetamine epidemic the last seven years, and we continue on a record-setting pace in terms of number of arrests. So drugs and alcohol are probably the biggest factor in terms of year-round. You know, seasonally we have some challenges. You know, we're a tourist area. So, you know, Mount Rushmore gets close to 3 million visitors a year, the Badlands, all of our tourist attractions, you know, throughout the hills generate a lot of traffic. But that's mostly, you know, correlates to, you know, a few more crashes, thefts, accidents, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so before we go down the rabbit hole here, we're going to touch on maybe some not-so-pleasant side of, you know, with our methamphetamine epidemic and, and stuff like that. This is a small portion of the people that inhabit Pennington County. Most people are probably not, you don't ever see them because they're just upstanding citizens. Um, So I obviously want to touch on that. So it's not like we're just bashing our own county here for sure. But the methamphetamine thing, it's now at epidemic level. Can you explain what the epidemic level is compared to other levels that we may have been at in the past? I mean, our, our number of statewide arrests are literally about seven or eight fold of what they were, you know, six, seven years ago. So we continue to just go up in not just number of arrests, but uh, the quantity of methamphetamine seized in our community and, and going across the highway on, you know, interdiction stops that the Highway Patrol and others are involved in. So more arrests, more quantity of methamphetamine, higher purity. What is causing it? Why is, I heard someone actually refer to the, the whole Black Hills area um, as mini Appalachia, which is like, I don't know if that was just something they made up, but it's like, what's causing this outbreak in, in meth users and in, in meth labs throughout the Black Hills? Yeah, availability is a big part of it. Um, we don't have a lot of methamphetamine labs in, in South Dakota anymore because we've changed laws in our country, most states have, where we've cracked down on the precursor chemicals. And that coupled with 95 to 98% of our methamphetamine comes from Mexico. So it's a reflection of our porous border on the south that all the methamphetamine, you know, floods up into the northern really? states. Really? So here. it's getting transported here, not created here? Correct. Yeah, 95 to 98% of it is comes from Mexico. Oh, and, okay. And so there's, I mean, where we used to r- routinely see 
ounces of methamphetamine we see pounds of methamphetamine now so i think availability and price and it's highly addictive so once people start using it it's hard to break the cycle yeah definitely no doubt um so say you're just a random citizen in rapid city or anywhere else in pennington county um you're walking around what are some telltale signs of meth users i know you said we don't have a lot of meth labs but is there any telltale signs that you've stumbled into one um, or maybe that your neighbor is doing some shady activity what can people look for and possibly report to you guys yeah we use the adage of you see something say something and don't hesitate to call you might see a residence with a lot of traffic in and out or traffic on unusual hours and doesn't seem to be consistent with you know a normal residence if you will in terms of people coming and going that's sometimes a telltale sign in terms of individual use i mean methamphetamine users are fairly obvious after a little while because it degrades their body so quickly. I mean, poor dental work, they get extremely skinny, they can have scabs on their skin. Um, They're spiraling down pretty quick at that point. Yeah. Um, So does Pennington County or maybe the Rapid City Police Department, do they have a uh, tip line you can call just for specific things like that or is it just kind of dial in and, and ask around or how do you guys handle that? Yep, there is uh, tip line information on our website and on our social media that you can access. Of course, you can send us messages on there as well. So. Okay, awesome. Well, we're going to take a, it's just a quick break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about texting and driving, stuff you do to combat that, and then how young people can get involved in uh, the police force. Hey, guys and gals. It's Brett Matice, the host of the Midwest Marketing Podcast. I need you to do me a favor really, really quick. I promise you it won't take long. However you're listening to this here podcast, Go on to iTunes, Stitcher, maybe you're just on our website, whatever it is. Go give us a five-star rating. See those stars? There's going to be five of them. Just go to the one furthest on the right-hand side. Click that one. Maybe write a few quick, nice words about us. Unless you don't like us very much, then don't write anything at all. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let's get back to listening. All right, so when we're on break, you mentioned something, which is incredible. So just that's not going to be easily brought up in conversation, so I'm just going to do it now. Can you talk about between your all your buildings how many beds you guys have uh for people yeah our maximum capacity if you take the care campus the juvenile center and the jail is 887 beds which i grew up in a town of 800 people so yeah (laughs) Yeah, it puts it in perspective and we uh we run probably 700 750 people a day in custody which i don't think most people in our community realize and like I would say, it's a small town in South Dakota, and you're providing medical, you know, mental health. You're feeding them, so it's um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of manpower too, just to get people in there and and helping everyone out. Yeah, we we have 421 full time staff and some part time staff, and then we have well, probably 125, 150 volunteers that help us, you know, carry out our mission. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what volunteer like? the different avenues people take to volunteer with you guys. I know you got a couple different things people can do. There's a wide variety. Um, we have people come into the jail and care campus juvenile center and do uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, faith-based programs, uh, drum groups in the jail um, for Native Americans uh, groups, and a wide variety of people come in to do programs. In addition to that, working directly alongside us, uh, we have explorers which are you know kids from 16 to 20 roughly uh, that can get into get their feet wet with uh, law enforcement if they want 
We have seniors that volunteer. Oh, I'm going to back you up just a touch. All right. So the explorers, when you say get their feet wet, what would they be doing? Yeah, they're actually, they have uniforms and they actually help us work events uh, like the fair uh, during the rally, other events like that. I mean, they they play a limited role, obviously, because they're not armed and they're not um, full-time law enforcement. And so it's a way for them to test the waters and see if they have an interest in law enforcement. If so, what area of law enforcement? Okay, for sure. I interrupted, so continue. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. and then our senior volunteers um, help staff the front desk, uh, help with in our warrants division. Um, and we have search and rescue, which is a, a large volunteer component. Uh, they're under the umbrella of the sheriff's office. Our reserve deputies, which are actually you know, sworn law enforcement, gun-toting deputies, they, but they work in a reserve uh, capacity. And so we just have a, a wide variety of opportunities for people to come volunteer with us if they want. We have a chaplain program if you want to be in a non-sworn capacity and still support the staff at the sheriff's office and the community. There's a way to do that as well. So the best way for people who are interested in any of those volunteer (coughs) opportunities is to just stop in, call, website. What's the best way to get information on that type of stuff? Yeah, all all the above. Whichever medium you prefer to use, um, you can set up an appointment and come meet with uh, some of our staff and we can see where we think you're a best fit and what you think might be a best fit for you. Awesome. All right. Texting and driving, obviously an issue, obviously becoming a bigger issue, I'd assume, with each passing day. What do you guys do to combat it? And what's the law exactly? So in Minnesota, I was always under the understanding, which I think it was a lot of just schoolyard talk about what you could get pulled over for and what you couldn't. Um, But everyone would always say that you couldn't get pulled over for texting and driving unless you were doing something else incorrectly they were like if you're speeding then they can pull you over and cite you for texting and driving or if you were uh, i don't know not wearing your seatbelt, then they could pull you over. but if you're just texting and driving and obeying all other laws then they couldn't pull you over i feel like that's not maybe true um but is there what can you what do you get pulled over for um and is it just if you're texting and driving are you i mean you're breaking the law you know, the example you used is what you're referring to. If something's a primary offense or a secondary offense, and I use seatbelts for an example, you know, seatbelts, not wearing your seatbelt can be a primary offense, and they see you without a law enforcement sees you without a seatbelt, they can stop you and arrest you, uh, or cite you, I should say. Um, if you have a, there are other offenses where it's secondary, so they can't use that as a primary reason to stop you, but if they stop you, and then observe the secondary offense, then you can be cited for it. In terms of texting and driving in South Dakota, you know, it's going to vary a little bit from uh, municipalities, and states will vary uh, from state to state. Um, I like to have a broader discussion about distracted driving. Um, I think we do a little bit of a disservice when we just talk about texting and driving because I've seen people reading books and newspapers. Reading uh, a book? And no way. Going down the interstate. I've, I've passed somebody reading a paper and actually reading a book. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, people eating food in their car, which many of us have done. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a, you know, filling with the radio, again, your phone. There's so many things that we do that distract us from paying attention to the road that I think we should talk in a broader context of distracted driving in general. And obviously texting's a big piece of that. Yeah, for sure. So you're saying all of this distracted driving, that's secondary offense. So yeah. 
you can't like legally i'm not trying to loophole yeah, the yeah, law yeah. here yeah. in in any way shape or form but no no in in rapid city you can be stopped for texting and driving okay so as a primary offense yeah which yeah. is good which is good yeah. all right can you discuss some other ways some other things that is associated with the sheriff's department that people may not realize that you have your hands in um, I know you talked a little bit how you're the county coroner, um, so you could touch on that too. Yeah, that, that's unique. In 1998, the county combined the office of sheriff and coroner. The sheriff was a separate, or the sheriff and coroner were separately elected uh, prior to that. <clears throat> Under the state law, you can combine the offices, and that's becoming a little more common now. There's more sheriffs that are also serving as a coroner. Now, as a coroner, you don't actually, you know perform the autopsies. You have a forensic pathologist that obviously is a doctor that does the autopsies, but you attend the autopsies or our deputy coroners do. And the coroner is responsible for determining the cause of death and doing the death certificate. So if it's a suicide, homicide, accidental, only the coroner can do the death certificate. You know, if somebody passes away under medical care, the doctor can do the, the death certificate. And we do, it varies, but Last year, I think we were about 360 coroner calls in Pennington County, and our numbers get inflated a little bit because we have a regional hospital here, and if somebody gets life flighted here from a crash in another county and passes away here, then the coroner in Pennington County is responsible for the paperwork, so that inflates our numbers uh, a little bit. But it's unique to have them combined, but it's actually a good model. We're working 24-7, 365 anyway, and so we take... About 38 of our deputies are also deputy coroners, and they can do the coroner work. Okay, awesome. It's a that also brings up another point when you're talking about uh, people flying and getting lifeline to the regional hospital. Say there's a crash in Rapid City, car crash, just your standard thing. Is that when someone calls? Is that police or is that you guys or is it whoever they call first or what? How do you handle that situation? Being that that's kind of both your guys' territory. Yeah, I mean, if somebody dials 911, it goes into our dispatch center which is literally across the street from the window we're looking out here and uh, then they will route it accordingly and obviously if our deputies are driving down Omaha Street in Rapid City and see a crash they'll stop and assist um, otherwise it's primarily the responsibility of the police department and of course the fire department the emergency medical services they service both the county and the city so the ambulance units you see in the city also respond out in the county. Okay, very cool. All right, so it's kind of just pivoting a little bit here. Uh, how can people, uh, young people, I mean, elementary to high school age students get involved with law enforcement? If they have an interest, what are like some avenues they can take to get to be a sheriff's deputy or a policeman or, or anything like that? Yeah, well, first and foremost, make good decisions in life because poor decisions throughout High school and college can impact your ability to get employed with a public safety agency, so that's something you should be mindful of uh, as you're making decisions in life. We all make mistakes, and there are some mistakes that we can get past and some we can't in terms of, you know, activity kids have been involved in. And otherwise, looking at uh, college, uh, Western Dakota Votech, programs like that, have a, a two-year program uh, that's very effective and a good program. You can go to, through the, the higher education route and get a, a four-year degree if you want. Or some people choose not to do either and just apply and get into law enforcement directly. So you can come in a variety of different ways. Okay, awesome. So we were talking earlier that the bank robbing days of like the Western movies are kind of going away more i mean obviously there's still bank robberies but people aren't as uh, apt to rob banks 
what is the the thing that we find most often happens is it like what's the new bank robbery like what's the new cool crime that like criminals are doing well i mean you can you can steal from people in a variety of ways i mean obviously if you do an armed robbery with a a gun or a knife and go into a business or, like I say, whether it be a bank, a casino, or retail business. Um, that's a strong armed robbery, so to speak. The other way that people steal from uh, citizens is scams. You know, we have lots of scams where people are uh, taking advantage of elderly people or vulnerable people and stealing their money through what I call more of a white-collar scam. Okay, yeah, for sure. So let me know if, if you can't share, um, but everyone loves the good comical law enforcement story and the book thing is hilarious to me that someone would actually just like be reading harry potter driving down the road Um, (laughs) but is there any like one that stands out throughout your entire 41 years in law enforcement where it was like that was the most ridiculous thing i've ever encountered you know i always say we have a, a front row seat to life we get to see people at their best we get to see people at their worst and uh you know i, I there, there's so many examples um I'd, I mean, as a young deputy, I remember stopping a elderly or a vehicle we thought was intoxicated, and uh, I stopped the vehicle at a busy intersection and went walking up to it, and the vehicle turned left and took off and left me standing in the middle of the intersection, so I hopped back in my patrol car and chased it down again, and uh, finally I pulled over by a house, and elderly gentleman got out, never had a clue that I was behind him at, at any point. And oh. so but it was kind of funny. He left me standing in the middle of an inter- intersection and drove off with my patrol car parked there. But uh, there's there's many examples of uh, things that are humorous in what we do. And like I say, we get to see people in a wide variety of situations in life. Yeah. So as we wrap it up here, kind of just kind of uh, put a concluder on the whole thing, do you have any last-minute things that we didn't touch on that are super important uh, that you would like to get out there and have people know? Well, you know, it's been a good run for me personally. Um, I, I didn't get into it thinking it was a, a calling in life, if you will. Um, eventually, at some point, I realized it was kind of my calling where I was supposed to be in life. And law enforcement, like a lot of other professions and occupations, can be a calling. And I think it's good if you recognize that, that it's a calling for you, then you should pursue it. Yeah, totally. Very, very wise words. Uh, good advice. I guess I just want to say uh, thanks for coming on, talking to me. Uh, thank you for the service of both you and, and all your deputies. We obviously appreciate it as uh, citizens of Pennington County. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you.